Hello. Just a quick note before the episode starts. We had some issues when recording. Not sure if it was the Wi-Fi or Skype, but at times I could either not hear John at all, or he came through very garbled. I did my best to clean it up in editing, and thankfully, John recorded it on his end as well, so I did have a clean version to use when necessary. Although, you might notice when I use his recording, because it was done as mono, not stereo. I mean, the whole it's not like it's unlistenable, but just want to give you a bit of a heads up. Okay, on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And if you listened to our last episode of the year last year from 2020, John Wilson was here as we talked about all the announced TV shows and movies that were going to be coming up for, for the MCU for this year and beyond. So we figured, well, let's end this year by talking about the ones that actually did come out and what we thought of them, which means, of course, if it's we and John was on last time, you probably guessed. John's on this time. Hello, John. But it's a different John. I am John Wilson II. The uh, previous John Wilson has died. We mourned him lovingly, and I am his successor. This is John with an H now? No! Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Al. I am excited to talk about some Marvel shows. Me too. I mean, it was a very exciting time last year. We got that announcement of like, you know, 20 shows and movies and oh my god! And the announcement came even with COVID going on, which mm-hmm. was kind of unusual. So it's like, okay, y'all are going forward with this. And, you know, end of last year, COVID had been a thing and school was already back in session in a lot of places. So worries were diminishing. We've had more spikes of worry over the course of 2021. But it seems that regardless of how much the disease is trying to persist, Life is also trying to persist in getting back to normal, and uh, hopefully yeah, we'll find some sort of level balance soon. Hopefully. And obviously, since a lot of those are t- probably helped that a lot of those are TV shows, which means the only concern was the production and filming of, they didn't have to worry about people going to see. Because there's no expectation right. of hoping people yeah. will go out to pay to see it. Because it's safe. You just click the button on your TV, buy Disney Plus, and watch it right there. And their business model is already in place for that. There's no concern about losing money on box office tickets. Obviously, especially how soon after that one division came out, they obviously had that already done, at the very least. So. Yeah, because it, it, it's hard to say sometimes how much ahead of time these TV shows are being produced. Like as we're recording right now, the Hawkeye TV show has just started. Um, the first episodes came on last weekend, and I have no idea when that was filmed. But it was probably a good one. Was it started after COVID? Was it started before COVID? I'm sure we can look these things up. But whenever COVID did happen and so much stuff shut down, a lot of TV was already 
either in progress or principal. It was just a matter of making everything pretty, which is what I'm pretty sure happened with WandaVision. I think that was all done filming whenever everything went to yes went to pot less. Yes, because that started up on January 15th. And since that stuff came out late December, that information, I have to assume they had most, if not all of it, done. It also helps probably that these are all being done by different I mean, it's all under the still the same umbrella of Marvel slash Disney. But I mean, they're, it's not like the same people are like going, OK, we're going to do this show and then this one and this one. It's different people. Both in the creative side, you know, on the uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera. Right. And, you know, I'm sure Marvel has a lot of their production stuff pretty consolidated. But generally speaking with things like this, where it's all under one company, that doesn't that's usually a distribution company or. You know, some corporate company has nothing to do with the actual studio group or the actual facilities being filmed. Those could be anywhere in the world. And so you have, you know, you blame, for example, you blame Warner Brothers for all this movie and that movie and that movie over there, whenever really it was a whole bunch of different, separate, smaller groups with different, completely unrelated people making the things. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming the way we've, I mean, it's not like I've done extensive research, but from what I've seen, I'm assuming with Marvel Studios, it's Feige going, okay, and then delegating, okay, these are the people doing WandaVision, great, you know, go yeah. work. Yeah. yeah, Marvel's probably more consolidated than that, but still, it's still got some separation going on. Yeah. But let's get, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, let's do it, let's do a promo break right here, and then we'll get started with our first show, WandaVision. Guys, we finally developed our time machine. Should we use it to go back and see how Stonehenge was built? Or become friends with Hitler and convince him to stay in art school? Or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed? Yeah! Yeah. The Comic Book Time Machine. A journey back in time to explore comic books. Good and bad. Whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. All right, so WandaVision, lasting nine episodes, and like I said, it started on January 15th of 2021, starring Elizabeth Olthen, Paul Bettany, and Katherine Hahn, and tells the story. Let's see, where's that little mini synopsis of the whole show? There we go. Blends the style of classic sitcoms with the MCU, in which Wanda Maximoff and Vision, two superpower beings living their ideal suburban lives, begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems. And this was a lot of fun to start with. This was a great way to launch the, you know, quote unquote, new way of doing Marvel stuff. Um, I thought that it was super exciting, super engaging. It was really interesting to hear the you know, reactions and, and theorizing everything from week to week. Although I think I think a lot of people forgot how weekly TV is supposed to work. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah i remember seeing people complaining it's like and i actually liked it this way because instead of trying to binge it all at once so i don't get like spoiled on everything and sometimes getting like overdone with it like i've watched eight hours of this like i'm tired of this i want to do something else but if i do something else i'm going to get spoiled on everything mm-hmm. i just had to watch an episode a week and that's the way things worked for so long you you had shows that were like you know 
week to week television is relatively new, you know, as far as like being, you know, super drawn into the plot lines. We're talking like Lost in 2004, Battlestar Galactica. That was 2003, I think. Yeah, um, I would. I would I would pin the blame on most of that with like uh, Buffy and Angel starting that up. Right, right. So it, but, you know, that's definitely whenever you and I were growing up, that sort of television wasn't a thing. So, and and it's gone all the way around full circle. Everyone is so used to streaming that 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 excitement of I can't watch the next episode for seven more days. And people were complaining about that. And it's like, no, that's the way it's supposed to. That's the way we're used to it working. Everything else is new and different. Yeah. And I mean, it's sometimes nice to have the stuff dumped at once. But to me, it's I I think it makes more sense because now you're more excited for it over time because you have that time to watch. And everyone gets to theorize at the same time, more or less. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier for more people to watch an episode a week than all 13 hours of a Netflix show in one week, you know, in like two days to avoid being, you know, again, having the spoilers or just being able to be part of the conversation. And yeah, you have that water cooler discussion, you know, I never actually had around a water cooler, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> you have just, just the chance to be aware of the show and it, it keeps it in the conversation. So like when the new season, for example, of The Witcher drops, and I have not yet watched The Witcher despite my boyfriend being in it. Um, when the new season of The Witcher drops, there's a lot of excitement and then you never hear another word because it's already dropped. Yeah, and once it's... Everyone watches it that first week and then no one cares anymore. Right. So this kept it in people's minds. It kept Marvel and WandaVision on people's lips. And it was a fantastic show to do that. There was so much going on in this. There was mystery. There was intrigue. There was character development tied up in all of it. Um, I was was sucked in from the very first week. So was I, especially since I have watched from our time period growing up was around the time Nick at Night started. So when I was a little kid – like when I was like, you know, 11 or something like that, or no, eight or nine even, I remember they would have Nick at Night was starting up and they would have 50 sitcoms. And mm. I watched some things like that, like not extensively, but I did watch Mr. Ed on there and Leave it the Beaver and a few other things and, you know, Dobie Gillis. And then this, you know, a little later, a few years later, when I was a little older, they went to the 60s shows. So I have seen those things. So it also, I mean, I, that at least helped for me when like those first two episodes, when they're really just kind of stuck in that time frame of, sitcom of that era at least it helped me appreciate that more because i watched them i watched some shows of that era so i understood what they were doing yeah a lot of that was just daytime tv for me a lot of that stuff was in reruns in fact there's any number of shows that i thought were new in my childhood that i realized later were actually you know in decades old reruns um but you know i, I saw lila of lucy and and you know leave it yeah. to beaver and dick van dyke Menace and mr ride those just those were just on and I have a lot of fond memories of those, even though they predated my life by you know decades. To me, yeah. they were they were just part of my childhood. Um, it was an experience that my children didn't, because TV nowadays is a lot more deliberate. You go to watch a particular thing, you don't just turn on the machine and let whatever's on play. No. Which, Although you still have the thing of instead of flipping through all the channels going, there's nothing to, you know, trying to figure out what to watch. You're just now flipping through your, your streaming service, looking at all the shows and t- movies, trying to decide what to watch. Right. So I've noticed it's still yeah. the same stuff, just a different format, but we're doing the same thing still. It's like, what do I want to watch now? Um, but, yeah, they had the different uh, uh, sit, uh, not sit, the different uh, uh, TV eras, 
tied in with uh, Wanda's, you know, mental health issues. And those of us who knew comics had something of an idea of where this was probably going to go. But one of the one of the beautiful things about the MCU is that even though they take inspiration from source material, they don't necessarily always play, you know hard and true with the source material so you just don't know when they're going to do something you expect or when they're yeah. going to pull a surprise move i think we got our fair share of both of those with wandavision no true because i mean even with the current hawkeye show while well, i haven't watched it yet i mean you can see from watching like seeing the trailer that it's a the lot of it's based on that matt fraction david aja hawkeye series uh-huh. that came out a few years ago but i do not that I got spoiled, but I did see a hashtag with a name showing up of a character who is related to Hawkeye's past, but as far as I remember, had nothing to do with that series. Mm. I don't think and I've so seen like, oh. that hashtag, so I'll be curious to see if that, if that, if what I'm suspecting you might have seen actually comes to be yeah. what what is what happened. Um, yeah, and we get to Black Widow. There's some stuff that's going to relate to Hawkeye too at the end. Yes. So, and that's stuff that's not from that series either. But yeah, no, they make they. I, I like for for the most part of the MCU, they've taken the core of who the characters are and the stories, but then done their own version of it based on what works for film or TV, and also of actors and the fact that people are not going to be in. You know, you can't have the same person. You can't have Captain America be around for fifty years and pretend it's only been five years. Right. Chris Evans will get old. Robert Downey Jr. got older. It's Absolutely. funny how that same philosophy is hard to swallow in other areas. Like, there's a new TV show that started up recently called The Wheel of Time, which is based on a you know a book, a series of TV. I'm sorry, a series of epic fantasy books, and because they're trying to take these massive amounts of pages and squeeze them down into eight 45 minute episodes and get the same emotional journey, but without all of the plot, they have to take a a lot of liberties with how they tell that story and there's definitely been a lot of uh kickback from purist fans who are like they're not doing it like the books and as comics fan i'm just like that's tuesday <laughs> remember when superman doomsday hit dvd and we got you know it was supposedly an adaptation of the doomsday story but it really really wasn't yeah yeah no true and yeah i mean has this exact story been told about wanda and vision no but there were elements of it. I mean, they have the whole thing when we get the reveal of the of the uh, pale white vision without the emotions. That was a really cool... Yeah, I really liked that. I was not expecting that to happen in the show whenever he... You know, I wondered if, if whenever he lost his coloring in the movie, if they were going to use that in some way to feed into that development with the character. But whenever they didn't do it immediately, I just kind of you know forgot. But they still did it, but in a different way. But, I mean, they, they found a way to bring him back without bringing him back. Mm-hmm. What kinds of uh, surprises did you have in WandaVision? Well, it was a surprise that they were doing it. I did guess before the reveal that it was Agatha. Okay. I mean, sorry, not that it was Agatha doing everything, but that that was Agatha Harkness. But it wasn't right away. And I, that was a surprise to me that they actually included Agatha Harkness in the show. Right. And that's always fun to me when they have these smaller characters that I'm not expecting them to use. It wasn't first Agatha. Was Agatha already, right? I don't think it was Agatha already. It was something similar to. Because remember, there was a lot of speculation about her that somehow she might be tied into Agatha 
or that Agnes. The, so there was already some speculation about that. Agnes, that's it. But whenever it turned out not only to be Agatha Harkness, but also to be like the big, big manipulating force behind the entire show, it was just like, oh yeah. Yeah. And I knew the kids were gonna that's be in there. Pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that was surprising. And I knew the kids were gonna be in there. But adding in Kat Denning's character and also Monica Rambeau was a bit of a surprise to me. And then actually yes. getting something into getting some Starting up like a little background with sword that was cool. I was not expecting mm-hmm. that. That was pretty neat. Um, getting Monica a chance to shine that takes her into new places, giving her a chance to be somebody besides the uh, cameo in Captain Marvel. I like that besides, choice. That was yeah. that's pretty exciting. And we also got some progression with the MCU itself and showing us what happened to the rest of how the rest of the world reacted to. Everyone going away and coming back. Which, after Spider-Man, was a big deal because Spider-Man blew it off as a joke because, you know, it's Spider-Man. But having a more grounded and emotional exploration of that was good. So what about you? Any surprises? Um, seeing Jimmy Woo was a surprise. I had forgotten we had already seen him before. Yes, that's um, right, Ant-Man. Right. And so whenever people were, like, making connections between his, you know little touches they did with the character and Ant-Man compared to the show. I was like, oh, so but he's he's a really neat little, little minor character in Marvel. Could become more major if they use him more. And I would not mind that because I really do like the uh, Marvel comics, Jimmy Woo, like from Agents of Atlas and stuff. He's pretty awesome. Yeah. I've only read when we were doing Make Ours Marvel. He showed up in the Serenko run of S.H.I.E.L.D. And before that, his his only appearances had been in Yellow Claw. So yes. as of right now, those are the only things I've read from him. Um, I realize that that's a very, you know, not great selection. <laughs> but, you know, it is what I've read. Yeah, but it's chronolog- chronologically you're reading it, so. Right. Oh, and I, because I'm, I'm looking at the cast list now, I forgot the one big shock. Evan Peters has, P- has Pietro. Yes. Uh, okay, so... My daughter was super invested in, in him being the actual Pietro from the other universe. And whenever that did not turn out to be the situation, she was kind of annoyed. It's the only really part of the, the way the show that left a bad taste in her mouth. She really wanted him to be actual Pietro. Understood. And, you know, we've been getting a lot of teases of multiverse stuff. So just knowing what they're going to do multiversally and what they're not going to do is something we're figuring out as they go. But, but that would have been, especially with, you know, the other Marvel studio branches coming back, like Fox and stuff. Um, people were just really expecting that to be like, oh, let's tie the universes together. And they still might. You know, we, I mean, as we, you know, we only got our taste in the multiverse here a bit. Mm hmm. And then more of Loki, which we'll get to in a little bit, obviously. So we'll see what happens once we get to Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Yes. And the end of the show teased, you know, the, the, the kids still being alive. And so that might lead into some more multiversal stuff because we know that Scarlet Witch's next big thing is going to be Doctor Strange versus the multiverse of madness. So yes. you hear it. A title like that, in light of how this show wrapped, and the question he's is like, oh, what is Wanda going to do now? <laughs> She's going to release Cthulhu. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think of when I hear like a title like that, The Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this show. I thought it was a really strong start. And starting it with a personal story, not a big epic story, but a very personal one. You know, it starts kind of small and just keeps expanding. Right. And plus, hey, we finally got a code name. I mean, we knew what her code name was, but we actually got she actually gets, you know, the Scarlet Witch name finally. Honestly, it hadn't occurred to me that we had not seen that yet. I'm sure big, you know, major Wanda fans were probably, you know, that was probably a conversation that was happening online and such, but it just, it hadn't occurred to me. Um, so seeing that in such an ominous way, a character-driven way, was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, not that it means that they has been said, could have been said off camp, you know, somewhere that, you know, it was just known as her name. But like, for instance, Captain Marvel was mentioned by Jimmy Woo in this, in the series. And as far as I remember, in her appearances in her movie and Endgame, She's only called Carol. You know, I don't ever remember her taking the name Captain Marvel. Mm. So, like, that's not something that was ever said, on, you know, on camera. Not that it matters as much. Okay, so, her name, you know, we know her name's Captain Marvel. It's right in the title of her damn movie. Right. So it's not like I had a problem with Jimmy Woo calling her Captain Marvel. It, just, it hasn't was, been done before. Yeah, but it was just kind of cool that, you know, we actually... They tied in the fact that her, you know, the name had been used and made it something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was a cool thing, I thought. And it was very nice seeing them. I have to say, Elizabeth Olsen as, Wan- as Wanda Maximoff has joined a list of a few other comic characters that were translated to screen where the characters were fine before for me, but I never really cared for them. And I like them a lot more now after seeing their portrayal on TV or movies. I can see that. Loki and uh, Lex Luthor are two other ones I can think of. Which Lex Luthor really drew you in? The first one I ever saw, so Gene Hackman. Gotcha. Even though he probably is not a Lex Luthor like anyone from before, but I enjoyed him enough that it brought me into liking the character more just because of his performance. Mm-hmm. Loki a bit too, although Loki did help in the fact that they did change up the character before, even before he was on TV or in the movies, I should say. But. Yeah, Loki has gone through a lot of transformations over the years, and it's it's interesting how fluid that character can be and still be the same character at heart. Yeah, but for the longest time, he was still kind of like, I'm Loki and I'm evil because I'm evil. So that was very 60s, 70s Loki. Yeah, yeah. And then, as you've noted on Make Ours Marvel many times, and Odin would still be like, I'm still not sure who to trust here. (laughs) The god of evil or my son? Yeah, it's like, "Hmm, Hmm. my honorable son who has never told a lie in his life, or god of lies and evil, right? Yes. Hmm, who's the liar here? I'm not sure. You know, I can't tell. Let's have a trial to figure out who's the liar. I'm going to lie about what I did in the trial. Well, crap. (laughs) So, I mean, he was fine. It's not like I hated Loki before, but he was just never that exciting a character to me. Right. And now he is. And same with Wanda. She was fine before, but now I'm enjoying her a lot more because of, you know, good chunk of it's because of Elizabeth Olsen's portrayal. Yeah, she has really brought me into the character, although um, whenever I was getting back into comics as an adult, House of M was really not very far in the rearview mirror. 
Mm. And so, you know, even though she's more of the catalyst to that story than the actual person that the story is, it still just did a lot to really give me a, give the character a big interest spike for me. It's like, I want to know more about this Scarlet Witch person. And I'd also read Avengers Annual 10 as a younger reader. So the really big reality warping moment that she has in that fight with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants has always stuck with me as a really cool moment. Yeah. All right. So anything else we want to say about WandaVision? No, it was a strong start to the quote unquote new MC. Uh, and I was I was more than more than excited to watch every week. Now, all these shows, the thing is, you never know whether it's going to be a sequ- another series or not, or, or, you know, another season, because these are more like miniseries. Yeah. So, I haven't heard anything. Do you think there will be, do you think, or, I mean, do you think there should be another season? Well, I, I have a feeling that they are not following that multi-season unless it's extremely intentional. I think all of these are basically multi-part films and then done. Um, the the two series that were getting sequels, uh, second seasons of Loki, was intended as one longer season, but then COVID interrupted. Oh, that's why they're doing season two. And I think What If is the only one that like they intentionally designed it as a multi-season concept. And that makes sense. Now I could see. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, go ahead. I was gonna say I could see Wandavision getting a second season because. There is a, another big story to tell about mm-hmm. her and the, you know, the new white, you know, new pale white vision coming together and finding each other. I'm and sure that, that story is planned. Yeah, we have not. I mean, we've heard about the movies, t- you know, planned out for the next few years. There is no WandaVision movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's something that should be done as part of someone else's movie, because, A, that's well, I don't mind them being involved. Like, for instance, Captain America Civil War. But still, the whole point of it was about Captain America because it's his movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so something like that. Unless there's going to be another Avengers movie, we have not been that's not been announced. You know, it's a little unfair to the title character and a little unfair to Wanda and Vision to kind of. I, I mean, I could be wrong. We'll see how they do it if it's done that way. But I feel like it'd be a little unfair to all three of those to shoehorn that into someone else's movie. I see. Yeah. And I think that could be done better in another six episode show. And then make up with another show with a different title, a different concept. Because one of the genius things about this is that even the title of the show itself keyed into the sort of high concept behind their, you know, their, their starting format with the television because it's WandaVision and Wanda's making the television show. Yes. And so they may come up with something else, but I honestly think it would be a completely different title and project. No, I, and that's fine with me too. That's just my opinion of it. That whether it's a, whether it's the same one division season two or a different other title season one, it would make more sense to continue the story that their story that way. Mm-hmm. You know, at least the next the big thing of them you know meeting up again. Let's say the only thing I can see them doing that in is in the announced Agatha Harkness show. Okay, yeah. So that's interesting because that does bring up the question: Well, what are they going to do with Agatha Harkness? I mean, sure, she was cool, but is that really a series-leading character? And I'm sure they have a story. I'm not doubting their story, and I'm not doubting the ability of the actress to pull it off. It raises the question, well, 
what is that going to be? And the fact that it could be something that furthers the um, Wanda and Vision storyline, as well as doing whatever it is they're going to do with Agatha, that seems likely. Yeah. Historically in the comics has been Wanda's teacher in magic. Mm-hmm. So they could do a bit of a change, you know, they could do something and redeem her a bit more and then have her be taken that role of a mentor role with Wanda instead of just being an antagonist. Or they could also just have Agatha only and just do more of maybe exploration of magic in the MCU. A different side they, of it besides what we see in Doctor Strange. They could bring in Ghost Rider and Morbius, the, the Midnight Suns, and have a Darkhold-centered, you know, <laughs> 90s Marvel TV show. That'd be cool. I'd be done with that. All right. So we're going to get off WandaVision now, and in this just and we are going to now talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Following the events of Avengers Endgame, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, and Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, team up in a global adventure that tests their abilities and their patience. <laughs> These two together are so much fun. This was this was a, a very different show that I was expecting. It did have a lot of really cool stuff going for it, especially a lot of the character stuff between the two. Um, but I was honestly not expecting like the sort of how to describe the themes because they were dealing with um, America's role in other countries and with refugees and how we treat people from other countries and all and this how, stuff going on. And how we treat people in our own country who maybe look different than the people who are in charge. Right. Right. So I thought I did a lot of interesting stuff there. I'm not sure how successful it was as an entire whole story, but I like, I liked all of its parts. Yeah, I I will say this is not my favorite of the shows, but to be fair, considering what kind of, you know, podcast I normally do, I do enjoy more the cosmic crazy stuff than the down to earth street level type stories, let's say. Mm -hmm. And when you get shows like WandaVision, which is, you know, deals with the nature of reality and Loki dealing with alternate realities and then Falcon and Winter Soldier. Those other two have to really suck for me to like them less. (laughs) So, for instance, this would be out of those out of the three shows we're going to talk today. This is my least favorite of the three. Not that I didn't enjoy it, just the other two were more my thing. Yeah, and I heard it said. We're not going to focus on Eternals tonight, but you know, Eternals had this big sprawling story that they packed into a two and a half hour film, and it felt like. Falcon and Winter Soldier had a much more concise story that they spread out over six or eight episodes, and that possibly both of those stories would have been better served if they had swapped formats. Yeah, not that anyone thought about that back in, you know, 2019 or 2020 when these things were being filmed and created, but 
just you know in in retrospect i feel like they could have swapped formats i could see that and i would also say that this is something i don't think needs a second season they need to now go to movies with captain america with captain america and winter soldier which is yeah which is what they're doing yeah i'm very i was very happy to hear about that and i'm looking forward to that i was fine with him being captain the comics and I'm fine with him being Cap in the movies, especially since, you know, we know Steve isn't coming back. Because mm-hmm. this is a different way of doing This is different, obviously. It's not just, we can't just draw the guy back in there and go, okay, he's back. Right. I drew the old character. He's back now. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, it's it looks, it's a guy with blonde hair. It's Steve. I drew the yellow hair. Yeah. I mean, there were no movies, but I still just care about the comics. Absolutely. That's the main thing for me. But let's face it. It is just people drawing, you know, writing and drawing something on there that doesn't have to change ever if you don't want it to. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it does raise the question as, you know, as Iron Man stopped making movies and as Captain America bowed out, um, we have not yet seen our last Thor film, but I'm sure there aren't that many left. It does raise the question, how are the, you know, eternally infinitely indefinitely running properties in comics going to eventually all phase out like if nothing else just because of you know the fact that comics are are finite um even though they 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 run forever so far there's only a limited number of them they're going to run out of stories and they're going to run out of characters and they're eventually going to run out of things they can do to make marvel magic happen so you know 30, 40 years from now, whenever we're dead, what is the Marvel Universe going to look like? Are they going to still be doing it? Or are they just eventually going to have to stop and say, okay, had a good run? You mean, movie, because you mean the MCU or you mean the comics? The MCU, because because there's only so many comics characters. Like, like everyone's eventually going to age out. You know, they're bringing yes. in Moon Knight. Okay, well, 10 years from now, the actor who plays Moon Knight will not be able to play Moon Knight anymore. Or, you know, what? sums up some number of years. It's going to go one of a few ways. I mean, either they're going to be able to keep doing different types of characters, though. If they only if they don't bring everyone in at once and focus on different ones, we can still have other people doing things and have new characters take over to replace. You know, not just legacy characters, but brand new characters to do these things. If, the, you know, that's one possibility. So, like, we might... After Anthony Mackie's done, we might not get Captain America anymore for a while until they can figure out what character could be the new Captain America. We might get other ones, though, instead who could do different things. You know, they might focus more on some of the, you know, the mystical side, maybe. And maybe, you know, we might have an MCU where most of the shows and movies are more, you know, Ghost Rider and Blade and uh, Morbius and the Darkhold and, you know, Werewolf by Night and Frank, you know, stuff like that. Tomb of Dracula. Or they might decide to kind of do a reboot at some point you know especially if maybe they're not doing as well they might cancel it for a while maybe not have anything out for a year or two and all of a sudden a brand new iron man movie and start it all over again yeah certainly starting over fresh is always an option other franchises have definitely done that but other franchises are all a little bit more limited because they don't have i mean while there are a limited number of stories, they still do have like 80 years of stuff. Even if you're only going from Fantastic Four 1, we still have 60 years right now of stuff they can adapt. And even if they've adapted parts of stories, doesn't mean they can't adapt other parts of those same stories. Like I said, it's a question. I mean, right now, I like I like the comics as they are. 
But I like this doing like this this MCU adaption. It's a different way of doing it because they're doing it with well these things these are real people, so we're doing it in more or less real time. So it's a different way for me of doing it. So I'm kind of enjoying this alternate universe Marvel where Iron Man does die and stays dead, and Captain America does age out. You know, where other people, you know, Hawkeye is only going to be in hope for so much longer because you know his you know eventually he's gonna you know they're gonna run out of excuses for him to keep coming back or they're gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm fine with that though because we're getting new types of stories, and some of the stories that even though they featured the characters previously still will make sense now, like the fact that they're doing armor wars. That makes as much sense as it did in the '80s when they did it with Tony Stark as it does to me now in concept, Rhodey, because mm-hmm. it's something that could be done, a story that could still be done as like a legacy story instead of him doing it himself. I think it's just going to depend on how well they're doing on the money. If they're still, if they're mm-hmm. doing it this way and they're still selling and making money and selling tickets and people are buying Disney Plus to watch it, they're going to keep going this way. Because if it's working, why stop it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to the actual top of the show. I was surprised at a lot of the minor characters we saw in here. I mean, yes, many of them were changed, but the fact is, I really was shocked to see Battlestar. Battlestar and the contest and yes, and the power broker, right? Just hearing that name was like, Ooh. oh my god! I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it because they they didn't seem to be doing a whole with the character other than like background machination. And then at the end, when it's like, oh, that's been sharing the whole time. I think I need to go back and rewatch because I didn't quite realize that was going to be something important. It was just a name that I recognized. Yeah, and also um. The Flag Smashers. Again, a changing it from that one single character, yes. but still taking the concept of it. Oh, and the Return of Zemo. That was really interesting because he was always a character I felt had been underserved by his role in the film. So bringing him back and giving him the chance to do more was fun. And of course, he was so... <laughs> there were memes of him dancing and everything. It was it was, it was a great little run for him, but um, yeah. not what and I expected. The- yeah, and the fact is we got more of the character that made him a bit more like the comic character, but still didn't, like, negate from before. So it's not like, they, you know, that wasn't the same character. It just the part of him being a baron had nothing to do with, the you know, his story in Civil War, so we didn't have to mention it. Right. Well, the comics didn't mention it for years either. He was just Zemo or Doctor. He wasn't Baron Zemo for a very long time. True. Well, that's true. Although, yeah, be fair, it was his father. Although, yeah, that's right. He wasn't the Baron Zemo in his first appearance. He was the Phoenix. Not that one. <laughs> Not that one. I'm the other one. And I did like how they continued on Bucky's story. Dealing with all the things he's done over the years and all the people he's killed. That was one of the things that like really drew me emotionally at the beginning was just his, his pathos in coping with having been the Winter Soldier and what that means for him as a person. And the therapy and everything else. It just, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot that was done there that validates like mental health concerns. Yeah. And also, even little touches of that. Like the fact is, it wasn't just he was trying to, you know, atone for like with the one, the one per, the one older gentleman that he was friends with and whose son he killed. Mm-hmm. But you could also tell like he was more comfortable with that guy than people his quote unquote own age because that guy actually is, well, younger than him. Right. From grow from the at least a period of growing up, he still is more in common with that guy 
than anyone else that was running that's running around right now that looks his age. Mm -hmm. Which is a note you get occasionally in the comics with Steve Rogers. I haven't read enough modern Winter Soldier comics to know how much they've done that with him in the comics, but I never really felt like it was done with Steve as honestly and as with as much emotional weight as that would really deal with with the character. At least not in the main continuity. I'm sure they went back and told retold the the rebirth of steve rogers kind of stuff but um yeah being a man out of time that's it's got to be a bit of a wreck yeah it's got to screw you up especially since anyone that you would have grown up with is dead mm -hmm. i mean it was a little easier when they first brought to see back in the comics in the 60s because it was only like 15 it was only 20 years right not even if it was 40 if they were saying it was 44 45 when he went away and they're bringing him back in 64 yeah 20, 20 years. years yeah 20 years done <laughs> but yeah, so at least those people would just be a little older. But that's it. But obviously with the slight, you know, now with the movies especially, if you're lucky, they're as old as Peggy was in the Winter Soldier. But for the most part, they're going to be all, they're going to be long gone. It's, this was still fun. I still enjoyed it. I'm still curious to see what they're going to do with uh John Walker in the future. I mean, do we have like a Thunderbolts right. thing coming up maybe? And you know, they did a lot to, I guess, demonize John Walker. And, you know, probably rightly so, because the character did a lot in the comics. But there, there's one really big difference between the comics and the TV, and that is that, like, you know, comics that come out five years later, there's only a certain percentage of your reading audience that's the same. You can kind of gloss over some of the worst elements of a character's behavior for the sake of using them differently in stories. I don't think viewing audiences are going to forgive John Walker for some of his stuff for a very long time. And so I'm curious to know if they're going to try to use him in a more positive relatively quickly, or, or if they're going to let him stew and be the quote-unquote bad guy of his story for the foreseeable future. They still made him a decently tragic character, I thought. I mean, he was trying to do good. He just... He's not equipped to do that job. He's trying to do a job he's not equipped for. Mm. It kind of uh, reminds me a bit of uh, the show, the Doctor Who's Doctor Who spinoff show, Torchwood. Mm -hmm. Where it's a bunch of people who are trying to do the Doctor's job, but the thing is, they're not equipped to do that. They're not the Doctor. Right. So there's a high body count. Right. They need more hearts for one thing. Hmm? Yeah, they need more, they need more hearts for one thing. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a high body count there because they're not equipped. And he's not equipped. He was equipped to be a good soldier. But he was not equipped to be Captain America mentally. Because obviously, physically, like, it's not like, you know, Falcon is had the super soldier process done to him either. But he was more equipped mentally. Exploring um, the things that had been done with, um, I forget, Isaiah. The, the, yes. Oh, that was a surprise. Yeah, I was not expecting to see that brought up into the Captain America mythos. I mean, that's that's a relatively recent addition, but then so again is Winter Soldier. I mean, Winter Soldier is... I think newer. Yeah, barely 15 years old at this point as a concept. Um, so seeing that come in with... Uh, I forget the actor's name. He also played... Martian Manhunter's dad on Supergirl, I believe. Uh, hold on, I'm bringing him up because I'm 
because just so anyone knows, I'm the, the little description I'm getting for the shows is from IMDb. Uh, let's see, where is he? Zemo, Sarah Wilson, Battlestar. Carl Lumbly, who also played, by the way, the voice of the Martian Manhunter in the Justice League uh, and Justice League Unlimited animated series. Maybe that's why they cast him as the dad in the Supergirl, because he was already attached to the character in a sort of legacy way. That, that, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yep, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's why. The same way in Supergirl, they had uh, Erica Durant's play. Right, wasn't Erica Durant's played uh, Kara's mom? No, it was um, Helen Slater. Oh, Oh well, that makes sense. Well, who play? Who did Erica Durant play? She played somebody. In Smallville, she was somebody. In she was Supergirl, Lois Lane in Smallville. You're right, but in Supergirl, I don't. I mean, I, I haven't seen all the show yet. So she made a show. Ways that either I didn't see or I've forgotten, but it doesn't really matter. I know it's just driving us now. It's one of those stupid things. You're like, damn it, who'd you play again? Right, must know. And I'm sure somebody's yelling at their screen, going, damn it. Don't you know? Oh, Alora Zorel. Of course. Yeah, her mom in uh, Astro City. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That duh. She has two moms, adopted and birth. By a biological. However, I'm gonna forget the term. But yeah, that's who she played. Okay. So yeah, I liked a lot of what they did in Winter Soldier. I liked a lot of the parts. I'm not sure it was as successful as an overall production but they did a lot of things I enjoyed and I looked forward to watching it every week um, mm-hmm. when it was on, but it was my son tapped out. He did not finish the show. Now, um, at the time this came on, this is just early in 21. So he was 12. So maybe a lot of the political themes and stuff were over a 12 year old's head. I don't know, but um, it was not as engaging for him and he stopped watching. Yep. And I, di- I did like the questions they asked. Mm-hmm. Because of the who the char- title character was, and you know of how it means to be an African American in America, representing America as Captain America, and what that you know what that could mean, whether they did how well they did or not, I guess that's up to each individual person. Plus, you know, I'm not coming from that perspective, so I can't say how well that relates to you know I can't. There's a certain level of that I can only talk to about because right. I don't have that perspective of that. So I can't say I can, you know, I can guess whether or not they did well or not, but I can't say because I'm not coming from that perspective of somebody like that. Right. But at the very you, least they asked the question. white. Yeah. But at the very least they asked those questions. They brought it up. And uh, there's, the they're going to continue the themes at least to some degree in the films because, well, according to the little bit of marketing we've gotten, Sam is going to continue to, earn his role as captain america and there's been some kickback about that because it's like no he he already earned it you know that 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 man is captain america now um and while i fully agree that he should not have to go on earning his place as cap i also think about our world and how people in marginalized groups often have to earn and re-earn and re-earn their place because that's just how our society is messed up. True. No, and I can't argue with that. On the other hand, because I'm looking right now, I click on, because it is, at least part of the screenplay is being done by the creator of, uh, or the series creator of Falcon and Winter Soldier, Malcolm Spellman. So he's listening. very likely as, continuing that story. 
Yeah. So it's still him doing it. Um, so it's not like it's different people taking over. Um, right. Now, there's another way of looking at it of that, which is, a you know, of that. Not that your way is possibly not correct. But also is that some of these roles, like some of those uh, some of those titles, like Captain America or Superman, it's not something they can slack off at. You know, whoever mm-hmm. is in the role. You have to keep doing that all the time. So in a way, it, you can say, like, Clark Kent has to keep earning to be Superman, even though everyone might still be accepting him as Superman. He has to still keep working to be Superman because that's an ideal that, like, that's not always easy to do. You have to rise above sometimes your worst nature. And that's honestly how I personally read it. I wrote it more along those lines, just the idea that, you know, going out and doing something amazing involves repeatedly going out and doing something amazing and just the process of getting up the the self, the what you need inside to go do all that, that is earning that title and earning that role over and over again every day. So I didn't see it. When I first read it before I saw some of the discourse, when I read that description, I was just like, he's earning his role as Cap. Just, he's got to stand up and be Cap now. That, you know, that takes some doing. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, Black Panther, T'Challa, has to keep earning, or had to, obviously, unfortunately, keep earning the fact that he is the king and behaving more like a king. I mean, that's why he doesn't kill Zemo at the end of Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike other people, unlike, let's say, for instance, Clint Barton in Avengers Endgame, he has to rise above those worst natures because of who and what he is. He's not just some guy. He has to stand for something. He has to be more than just doing it for himself. Right. He has to, you know, he has to represent an ideal or a country or whatever you want to call it. Or, you know, whatever they're, I mean, not called, whatever that, per, that character is representing. So in a sense, they do have to keep earning it every day. Mm-hmm. So there's that way. Now, of course, we'll see what it is. When we get there. Exactly, when it actually comes out. We don't know until that happens. I mean, I know, but I can't tell you. No, yeah. John knows everything. That's because this is the other John. Right. <laughs> the first John, he didn't know nothing. That's why they called cop telling him, you know nothing, John Wilson. <laughs> I don't think they said Wilson in that one. <laughs> I think it was like John Rain, John Steam, something like that. Yeah, John Hale. <laughs> one of those. So what's next? All right. Up next, Loki. Before we get to Loki, let's play another promo. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? 
like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. The mercurial villain Loki resumes his role as the god of mischief in a new series that takes place after the events of Avengers Endgame. Which was probably not much of a surprise to anyone who saw Endgame. Hey, Loki's alive now! You know, when they announced WandaVision and they started giving us teasers and trailers of WandaVision, I was like, oh, they're doing that story. Okay. I had absolutely zero clue what this was and the trailers got my you know hype machine up they worked they did their job but they didn't help me understand what the story was going to be and throughout its release and throughout watching it i had no clue what to even guess was going to happen as the show progressed yeah i just knew it was going to evolve Which the tv right and i haven't even read their their handful of appearances that you know there's not a whole lot that's happened with them but you know, they do go back to, I think, the 90s and the Fantastic Four and stuff. Yes, uh, I remember them from that time period. when uh, Simon, um, I remember them from when Simonson was working on the Fantastic Four. Right. So seeing that they were, A, bringing back movie Loki, that was like the one thing I was able to figure out. Okay, so the movie Loki who disappeared in Endgame and went off on his own time travel thing, you're following up on that? Okay, but... And that was exciting because I liked, you know, that they that he got to bobble and go gallivanting through dimensions. I just didn't know what they were going to do. It was a great way to bring Loki back from the dead and use him without bringing him back from the dead. Exactly. Yeah, he still did get killed. Mm-hmm. And as far as Thor is concerned, he's dead. Mm-hmm. But there is a version of him alive now, somewhere. And what's going to happen to him at the end of the next season is a guess, because we don't know how that's going to play out. But it's very curious. And bringing Kang in at the end, you know, when they said Ravana early on, yes. okay, so what's this going to do? But it was all a great surprise to see play out. Yeah, I wasn't sure where they were going with that. As soon as they said Ravana, I was like, ooh, I'm like, I know that name. Yes. I think that if any part of this show got any criticism, because this, like WandaVision, this was one of those that had almost universal acclaim episode to episode, week in, week out. But like WandaVision, I think the finale was a bit of a difficult moment. Um, the WandaVision finale, I think, is just because there was so much speculation and, you know, you can't make your fan theories happen on TV. The show was produced and filmed and finished months before it ever started airing yeah. you can have your uh, fan but this theories, one i think is just because yeah don't get too pissed because your fan theory is not true right right and that ruins the fun of the fan theory is now you're a sore loser no one's going to want to play monopoly with you if you can't you know lose you know nicely um but this one just had a lot of exposition and a lot of conversation and it kind of went the opposite direction of the super of the of the WandaVision finale, which was a whole bunch of movie magic action. This was a whole bunch of not that. Yes. 
this actually, the finale of this actually felt a lot like a Starlin Warlock comic. Okay, I think it's here. We'll talk more about that. Like the whole thing of the not Kang talking, you know, whatever I forget his what he called himself in the in the show, but obviously it wasn't Kang. But the way he's talking about that, like and the way that get resolved, reminds me a lot of like the the finale from Warlock uh, Eleven when he has to commit astral suicide. Okay. You know, it doesn't end up with a big punch up. Mm-hmm. It, it ends with like this uh, almost like philosophy, deli- you know, uh, about the nature of reality. Right. And I heard a lot of people complaining that that wasn't really Kang. And what I thought was kind of delightful about it is we saw like the the best Kang, the ideal Kang, like who Kang would be if everything was OK. Yeah. And, I mean, it wasn't Kang. And that's fine. And the because- Kang- because the king we know got released at the end. Yeah. There there are more kings coming, and the king we know is gonna be one of those. Yeah. We pretend, we now have the chance of having Kang and Amortis and Ramatut and the Scarlet Centurion, whoever what other names he has. Mm-hmm. The but, plurality of Kangs. Yeah. And you also kind of get the thing of like I, I liked how this, especially with Loki, it's like, wait, was Loki actually doing the wrong in trying to do the good thing? Was he actually the bad guy still? And the fact that now things are worse, potentially, because, yes, he had the whole timekeeper thing. And that was not a great thing he was doing, you know, like purging people and stuff. But, I mean, is it going to be worse now with Kang out there? And have you heard the fan theory that links this directly to WandaVision? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I can, I can kind of I can see somewhat about how it links with the multiverse stuff. But what is the theory? So. Evidently, whenever Kang is talking and he's like, oh, wait, something just happened. And now I don't know what's going to happen anymore. We're, we're in a different timeline now or whatever it is that he says. Evidently, the timestamp of that is the exact same moment in WandaVision's finale when she has, I forget exactly what happens. He's having a book to watch it, but it's like either an explosion of power or she wins or something happens. It's like, you know cataclysmic in the WandaVision finale. So the theory is that whatever whatever Wanda did in her finale is what changed the time tracks in the Loki mm. finale. Interesting. Oh, and I'm looking up the title. Uh, he was technically called He Who Remains. That's right. They didn't give him a name. Yeah. I, I felt like they didn't give him a, a name name whenever you were saying that earlier, but I wasn't sure. Well, I mean, isn't Kang kind of classically not really have a name, just kind of implied to maybe be a descendant of Doom or Reed Richards or both or neither. Yeah. Or he, at one point trying to convince Doom he is Doom. <laughs> In Stanley's worst handling of time travel mechanics ever, yes. Um, I mean, he could just be the Pharaoh from the future. That's just who he was. Yeah, he could be all of them now. I liked him. He was fun, though. I liked him. I liked that actor play who played him. So I'm looking forward to him playing all the others. And of course, you know, we jumped right to the end. We started, but we could not discuss this show without bringing up Sophie and how yes. just freaking amazing she was as as her own character, as a version of Loki, as, you know, 
other Loki's mirror. It did, there's just so much they did with that that was really, yes. really great. No, I liked her a lot. It's also a nice way to have Loki still be around, or a version of Loki, in case Tom Hiddleston, after like the next season or so, is like, all right, I'm done. They have other Lokis to choose from? Yeah, we now have a Loki we could still use. I mean, granted, they also could bring back, you know, they also could bring in the kid Loki. Or, of course, my personal preference, alligator Loki. <laughs> Croaky, I think he was being called. I forget exactly what. Like a yeah. crocodile. Yeah. Or crocodile Loki. I forget which one he was. But either way. Um, oh, yeah. And the uh, the multiple Lokis in whatever that dark dimension was. Um, you had Richard Grant as classic Loki in uh, the various others. I like Richard Grant. Every time he shows up, I'm like, he was the doctor, and no one ever talks about it anymore. He was? Before the new show was greenlit, before there was any talk of a new show, BBC was moving forward with their Doctor Who franchise by having a ninth Doctor in a series of Flash animated web shorts. And he was called the ninth Doctor... And hmm. so for a very brief time, he was officially the Ninth Doctor, capital letters. But then whenever they launched the new show, they're like, okay, we're barely going to be acknowledging the TV show First Eight Doctors. We're definitely not going to acknowledge Richard Grant. Oh, but he did show up. He was the great intelligence. He did show up as well in the actual Doctor Who show. Oh, did he voice the great intelligence? Yeah, he was the doctor uh, from that first, Dr. Simeon. Rose? Um, it was a Matt Smith episodes with Clara. Oh, so it's, that's down the road. I, I, I've only, a lot of those I've only seen once. Yeah, he's in The Snowmen and The Name of the Doctor and The Bells of St. John. That's why that gotcha. face looks so familiar to me. But yeah, yeah, no. That, that was, was fun. I, well, I like playing with the multiverse. That was good. I like that kind of stuff. If Falcon Winter Soldier was maybe less certain about being successful loki was back to pattern and back to yes this is this is huge important television every single week yeah this so far has been my favorite show loki is my favorite so far and i think the the ending it with a cliffhanger just helps to raise its mystique because we don't know we still don't know what's going to happen we need more loki in our lives yeah, no, I agree. I mean, more Loki. I am looking forward to the next season. I cannot wait for that. And I hope we still get... I hope they find some way to bring in multiple Lokis again and get other versions of him. <laughs> Maybe even have one of them be the Lokis from, like, a What If episode. Yeah, I do sometimes wonder if we're going to see those What Ifs come back in some shape or form. Like, there were a lot of really cool story concepts and, you know, one of the things about what if is it's, it's, you know, there's your story concept and it's done, never to be reused again. But it makes you wonder. Yeah. <sighs> All right. We're not here to talk about what if. Hmm? So right, we're not again. here to talk about what if. No, not today. But soon. But we do have one more thing to talk about today. And that's not a TV show. That is a movie. An actual theater movie, really? Yes. Black Widow.
Natasha Romanoff confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Well, took them long friggin' enough to make one make this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. And there's a lot of conversation to be had about that. But I'm so glad they finally did make one. Yes, so am I. But I'm just a little disappointed that we're probably not going to get a you know a sequel or a trilogy for her like the others got. Right. At least not as the Scarlett Johansson widow. I'm hoping we get more other widow. Because I think... Um, Oh, maybe that's the Hawkeye character you were talking about earlier. Yes, yes, they are. They are obviously at the. They implied she's going to show up in the Hawkeye show. Right, I think I've heard that too. Yeah. Based on that little bit at the end, the end credit scene where the Contessa shows up and says, "This is who's responsible for her death." Mm. And it's Hawkeye, mm. so it's like, oh, that's, that's right. First, we got to deal with the bros. You haven't seen it yet, though. But we'll see how that goes. But so I was rewatching this last night. I must maybe I glossed over because I didn't see in the theater, but I forgot how disturbing this general character is. I mean, what he does, like at least maybe I missed it when I was watching the theater. But like watching it last night, the opening sequence of like him, like these girls, like these children in like storage cargo units. And like they said, get rid of the, you know, get rid of the useless ones or whatever. Mm hmm. Like really make I realize how dark and like twisted this char- that general character is. Yeah, they took it to a lot of awful, awful places. Um, I feel like there were storytelling choices that they could have made that they didn't make that would have made it a lot more you know difficult to watch for some people who had rough experiences. They were able to make storytelling choices that you know were still painting him as just a bad, bad person without, without necessarily making things as bad. Um, without be, yeah, without yeah, being too explicit about it. Right. He was uh, definitely, definitely rough. But that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the story. The story is about, you know, um, exploiting and having a character like that. It's going to be part of the story like that. I mean, I wondered how they were going to do this when they, when they announced it. So since, you know, she was past the character was dead at the time right so taking place back during you know between uh captain america civil war and avengers infinity war at least there was a there's a nice little window where it could take place i think that with a lot of retcons there's some elements of it fitting right into that little nook that don't quite work out um because she definitely comes out of this with a big yeah, feeling of family they, yeah. Uh, and I wonder if we're going to see more of that family in the future. I mean, we know, I, we're pretty sure we're going to see the sister, but will we see Red Guardian again? I hope so. He was fun. Yes. <laughs> I just want to see him meet Sam Wilson just so you can ask him, did he talk about me? Who? <laughs> Your predecessor. Did he talk about me? Who are you? Right. Yeah, the Captain America of, you know, the USSR or... I guess it would be the Soviet Union at the time because of the way this was dated. Uh, that that was totally a thing in the comic. Never actually became as important as it felt like it should. But you often have the Captain America of X other country that just never ends up being a very important character. Yeah, actually, having him be in there would be all pr- would actually could work because they could do a flashback showing like 
him and Bucky on a mission together. Oh. So because like, while, while it was Hydra, well, it was Hydra in Russia. And, like, we saw as Hydra was in here, they were infiltrating. So they could have, you know, been infiltrated the, you know, whatever organization he was part of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Done things where the, the one side didn't know they were working with Hydra. Exactly. So they think that this is, you know, the Winter Soldier is their, you know, their operative. And because of the nature of the Winter Soldier, it was supposed to be like a myth. You know, you don't see, you know, no one knows he, you know, most people don't even think he existed. If their stories of the Winter Soldier killing, you know, being responsible for killing somebody, let's say they didn't send them on, you know, they officially didn't send them on. Well, they, they might just think, oh, this whole thing's working. You know, they're attributing everything to the Winter Soldier. <laughs> Meanwhile, not knowing that the Hydra people inv- involved in there, you know, in the KGB or whatever it is, organization, actually did send them on that mission to kill somebody. I mean, that's the thing about that whole Winter Soldier thing. It's very easy to have your superiors believe, yeah, that's just, oh, they, people believe anything. And, but in reality, it happened. Well, I even mind you know it's Hydra doing it, the reason you would have an operative like that is for the, for the national interest. So bringing the actual government, even though they don't realize they're working with Hydra, but having them have using Winter Soldier would only make sense. Yeah, so that's something that could be. I would not, I would not mind seeing, even if we don't see you know the other characters in the movie. I would not mind seeing him in one of the Captain America movies with Sam Wilson as the captain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could be fun. So let's see. What did you think about Florence Pugh? Is that how I pronounce it? As Yelena. I liked her. I liked the sister dynamic. Revealing stuff about Natasha and her family and the fact that she even has a sister was part of the surprising elements of the film because, you know, you just you don't know how these things are going to work out. Um, the fact that she did so much to try to protect her sister and the, against them, but I mean, that's kind of undone, but I think that they did it well here. Yeah. I mean, I liked her enough. I don't like her as much as, let's say, Natasha. She was an okay character. Like, I don't know if I want to follow a movie with her. Mm -hmm. But I think I enjoyed her more when it was the two of them together. There's the family dynamic between the two of them. Mm -hmm. That I enjoyed more than her portraying the character on her own. Well, even reading comics with her as... or When when I have read comics that involve other Black Widows, there's always a feeling of this isn't the Black Widow. There's just something that's not quite the same vibe. Um, I have read a lot of them. So I'm making a passing statement, you know, overall that's not necessarily very founded, maybe. But, you know, they're, they're still bringing their own different thing to the table. So I think we could build up a new Black Widow feeling with this other character. Granted, not, she's technically not her sister, but I don't think she's even a fake sister in the comics. From what little bit I remember reading about the character of Yelena, she was just another Black Widow that in fact, if mm-hmm. I remember from her first appearance, was trying to kill Natasha to be the only Black Widow. Right. Think she becomes in. a super adaptoid or something. Maybe. I don't know you could become one of those. Let's see real quick. Yeah, okay. Originally, Yelena was a foe of Natasha Romanoff and was sent to kill her, but the two later became allies. She was also a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., Vanguard, and HYDRA. The latter organization changed her into a version of Super Adaptoid. Well, that's just weird. As Super Adaptoid, she was one of the members of the High Council of AIM. She reverted to her original codename Black Widow in 2017. 
She is the first confirmed asexual character in the Marvel Universe. I didn't know that. That would be something that would be cool to to have represented on screen somehow, some way. Um, it's not something that we get an explicit mention of, but I know that there would definitely be a segment of the population that would appreciate seeing that represented on screen. And it's not like it, it's not like it couldn't still be there just because it didn't come up. Well, I mean, it's not like there was a lot of there was no romantic subplot in the movie beyond <laughs> uh, maybe Red Guardian and uh, Melina flirting right. with each other and making the two of them uncomfortable. But I mean, there really was none. So it's not like they can't still have that happen. I'm sure there's anyone else in this. You mentioned that the Contessa shows up again at the end. That was a surprise. So one of the things about previous Marvel TV properties is how much they didn't cross back over into the films. Um, So this would be possibly the first instance of new Marvel TV actually showing back up in the films. Hmm. That's true. Like of all the agents of Shield and everything else that ever that all that got made, uh, the the most direct reference we've ever gotten to it is um, Jarvis driving Agent Carter. You know, Jarvis was an Agent Carter TV show creation. He showed up That's on the film. We had stuff from the films. You know, of all the, the really show. amazing things, right? But not the other way. Other around, but around. the character that played Jarvis did play was there in the. And I'm wondering if that's just because of the fact that the Asia Carter show actually has Peggy Carter. It was the one that used the most of the actual films in its original concept anyway. So bringing that back over is easy. That was a good show. I did enjoy that. And, uh, but yeah, no, at least, I mean, what I was rewatching last night was fun. I enjoyed the action stuff. I love the whole fun of, uh, like I said, I like the family dynamic of the two of them. Even though it's mm-hmm. a very dysfunctional family. I mean, when he gets broken out, when they break the, you know, Alexi out of prison, he's like, I'm so proud of you. You're the best young, you're the best child assassin ever. <laughs> and that's not necessarily the compliment you want your dad to give you because you did not want him to turn you into a child assassin in the first place. But, you know, but he's that's so, all the But the thing is, he was so warm about it. Like, he's not cold right. and heartless about it. You know, he's like, I am so proud of you. Like, it was almost like, I want to take you for ice cream now. Yeah. They should have gone for ice cream. It was, yeah, ice cream would be nice. But yeah, I'm going to have some ice cream later. But it was just so, you know, just the the, uh, the disconnect between the way, of, you know, you would want a family to be and yet what they had them do. And yet he's still be, you know, still behaving that way. Mm-hmm. It was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. A lot of enjoyment for the, the movie, like I said, was the family dynamic. Even though they technically weren't family. Uh, you say that. I think a lot of people would argue with you on what family is. They're, they're, I mean, not being blood relatives doesn't really mean they're not family. Well, no, I, to be fair, that's true. But I mean, as in, they were you know put together as just part of a mission. And mm-hmm. especially for the adults, obviously a lot less so for the children. But that's the, the thing. Is that the, they the, do it as a mission. Children were raised, yeah, the children were raised with a lot more of a family feeling and family, you know, in one sense, at least family is growing up with someone taking care of you and aging together and all those. And even though some of that was fake, it was still a real formative experience for the girls. For the girls, yes. But I'm saying especially for the adults and the fact that it only lasted three years and it was a mission for them. 
Mm-hmm. And who knows what other missions they have before or since, but they still, I guess they never had a mission. Maybe they never had a mission like that, where that was still maybe the close, you know, the only family that the adults had. Because it made more sense for the two girls to feel like, you know, for Natasha and Yelena to feel like that was their family. It was another thing mm-hmm. for the adults, you know, for the parents, Melena and Lexi, to feel like that when for them, they knew it was a mission. I got you. So, yeah, so the adults who had more of a perspective still having those family feelings was good. Yeah, especially for him. I mean, Melina didn't want to go. Remember that part in the beginning? She's like, I don't want to go. I don't want this to end. Mm-hmm. You know, from what he said at the beginning, you know, when they bring go to Cuba and, you know, she's being well off in the stretcher. He's like, can I do? Thank God as this is over. I was bored. I want to do something else. But he still felt fatherly towards the two girls. That maybe, maybe I put it the wrong way. Yeah. But that's what I meant. Yeah, I gotcha. So I did enjoy those things about the movie. So it was a lot of fun. Plus, I'd like to see a bit more of her doing the spy stuff, uh, especially like the beginning when yes. Secretary Ross thinks he has her. And then, you know, she walks out the door and you think she's going to go walk the fight and she's on that ferry in Norway. Nowhere near him whatsoever. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I'm a spy. It's like, you think I'm here? No, I'm not there at all. And with the character like Black Widow, who is one thing, but is so often shown working under a completely different environment. You know, she is a spy. We never get to see her doing spy stuff. So, yeah, that was definitely a good thing to see here. Nick Fury is kind of the same way. He's, you know, Tony Stark once says he's a spy. He's the spy. We rarely get to see Nick Fury being a spy. That's not something that that's not a story they've told very often. Yeah, I think no, the closest Captain Marvel see, was the first time they really did that. Yeah, the closest we got to see Scarlett Johansson as Natasha being a spy, besides this, was in Winter Soldier. Hmm. Hmm. But I mean, Avengers, like, there's not really much spy stuff. I mean, the closest maybe is when she's interrogating Loki, or inter- you know, in the first movie, or when she's being in- she's doing that interrogation in the beginning of the first movie. When she's tied up in the chair and she gets the phone call. Yeah, then she's in the middle of a spy mission being a spy. Yep. Which is one of the best scenes of her. Yeah, no, that was awesome. For the most part, like in Avengers movies, they're fighting an alien army. There's not really much spy time there. Right. She's a superhero. She's a spy in a superhero movie. Yeah. So she's going to have to be more superhero. Here she got to do a bit more spy. You got to see a bit more of the spy craft. Not a lot, but I mean, a bit more. I mean... Mm-hmm. But movie, movie spy stuff, so which means, you know, if you watch James Bond and Jason Bourne, you know, lots of car chases and stuff. <laughs> but that's what we expect from our movie spies. Which some would argue is just a different kind of superheroing. Exactly. But that's what we expect from movie spies. So I'm sure real life spies probably don't have that many car chases. I mean, I feel like if they did, it would just draw attention to yeah. them and we'd find out about it, which would kind of counteract the whole spy thing. Like, especially in this movie, I mean, that car chase in Budapest, or Budapest, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> depending on who's saying the name. Mm-hmm. When they're being chased by Taskmaster, like, that, like driving, like, that friggin' tank that looks like Gru's car, kind of, from Despicable Me, you know, just kind of slamming into every other car and, like, knocking them off the road. It's like, yeah, that's, uh, like, yeah, people aren't going to notice that. <laughs> Not exactly being subtle. But I did, en- I did enjoy the movie a lot. I was very happy with this movie. If it's the only one we're going to get, I was happy with that. You know, yeah, it is frustrating looking back at how many 
years of missed opportunities. And we all, uh, it seems like there's unspoken agreement or even just, you know, loudly spoken agreement that it was because of the politics of a female-led superhero film. Part of me, the the part of me that wants to give people the benefit of the doubt also just wonders if maybe they just didn't have a script they thought would be viable until relatively recently. But um, but this was this was a nice send off, a posthumous send off for the character. I mean, it doesn't have to be the end. I mean, there's always a chance of. I mean, so many shows and movies do flashbacks all the time. There's no reason why in a Hawkeye series we can't have a flashback of a mission or something they did together. Mm-hmm. But I do have the feeling that this is beyond a few minutes here and there. This might be the end of her of Natasha, the black widow. Yeah. And also what if appearances, the, 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 the stuff in the, what if that felt like it was more of a, it was also intended as a nod to the character and like giving her another swan song. Mm. Is that one of the later episodes? I've not watched the last three. Yes. And the last three all kind of go together. Oh, they do. Yeah. They all kind of go together. They sort of step away from the uh, done in one format and sort of tie everything together at the end. All right, cool. Oh, that gives me more reason to watch those three then. If you can set them down and watch them all as like one continuous film type of experience, that'll probably be a, a nice way to watch them. Hmm. All right. That might be a plan then for that. Maybe that's how I'll watch them. Just watch all three in one, one go. Well, we've finished talking about all the shows and movie that we're going to talk about this episode. So it's time for the feedback before we close up. And this time, the feedback is about episode 143, Death Waters of the River Styx, from Marvel Spotlight number 26. On Facebook, the post about this episode was liked and shared by Joe Sedano, Gene Hendricks, Clinton Robinson, Darren Sutherland, and Tim Price. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Outcasters, Batman the Outsiders podcast, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, David Finn, Connor McKenna, Ghost Spider Groupies, Capes and Lunatics, Ghost Rider Podcast, Last Sons of Krypton, Tomes of Evil, a comic book villain podcast, Jason Snake Venable, Rattelichin Broadcasting, Truth, Justice, and Hope, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Brian Z, Probably Disagrees with You, Into the Night, Ray, Max Reads Comics, There's a Gem in One, Chris Williams, Dave's Comics Heroes Blog, and Doc Strange. Now, if you want to hear more from me between episodes, well, couple ways you can do it. Of course, I'm on every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. On that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi series Legion. That's the one the acronym in Lobo, not Legion of Superheroes. And you can find it on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. And of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. I also guest starred in a couple places in the last few weeks. On the W2M Network, you can find me on Source Material number 288, in which Jesse Starcher and I talked about Stars and Stripe Volume 2. And also on the Lombok Crusade Network, you can find me on Fan Film Fridays number 23, where Clinton Robinson and I talked about the fan film Lobo Paramilitary Christmas Special. Now, if you have a comment about the episode, or if you just want to have your name read here, here's how you do it. Send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. You can like and share the episodes when I post them on Facebook. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and they'll pop up. Our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. And of course, we are on Twitter at AdamThanosPod. Finally, this show is part of The Collective. 
The collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. And you can hear a promo for one of the other collective shows right now. Hi, I'm Pax. And I'm Abigail. Welcome to Ghost Spider Groupies, a podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. Right now, we are reading through Gwen's main solo series. Each week, we break down a new arc and discuss our and the listeners' thoughts. Tune into each episode and come on this journey through the character's history with us, available wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, well... I think we, we've reached the end of what we're planning mm-hmm. on doing this episode. Talking about the yeah. first few bits. Audio problems aside, this, this has been a nice you know, sort of re- reminder of, of all the good things we've had from Marvel lately. I do feel the need now to kind of go back and rewatch basically everything we discussed. <laughs> and just kind of re-experience a lot of it because, you know, these only came out earlier this year. I've really only seen it all once. Um, so I should give some things a rewatch. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that too, if I have a chance. I, I, like I said, I, I think I mentioned earlier, I, I did watch half of Black Widow last night. I just started too late, so I couldn't watch the whole thing. Too tired. Mm-hmm. But I do think I am going to finish watching that movie tonight because I enjoyed it. And I only got this, that I only saw that once. And while I did see the shows only once too, there was more hours of it. Right. Yeah, so rewatching back, a series is more of a more of an investment than rewatching a show. There was more of the show in my memory of these things because I watched, you know, six hours of Loki and nine hours of WandaVision. Mm-hmm. It was only two, two and a half hours of Black Widow. It's not as fresh as the other ones were, even though it came out afterwards. And sometimes it's a different experience watching it in the theaters than it is at home. You know, you're able to pay attention more, even pause and go, wait, what was that again? And that, like, subtitles. Yes. Subtitles are an amazing enhancement Especially, you know, as I'm older and get my hearing is not what it once was. Or you catch things that are just said lowly. Like, for instance, when he's uh, when Alexi's in prison and he's arm wrestling Mm -hmm. and the one guy says, what year was this that you fought Captain America? Because he was still in ice. Everyone knows this. And he calls him Ursa. And says, oh, the bear is hurt. Bear's crying. I'm like, he's supposed to be Ursa Major from the, you know, the the Soviet super soldiers who turns into a bear. Okay. Who knows what they, you know, whether they will or not. But, you know, it's that's basically the MCU version of him. Mm-hmm. A little nod to the character, if nothing else. Exactly. I'm like, I didn't realize that when I saw the movie before, because I didn't catch the name. And I right. couldn't pause it, and it wasn't, you know, I didn't have subtitles. So, like, I didn't see the words Ursa. I was like, oh. Will we ever see him again, or see him as Ursa Major turning into a bear? I mean, maybe, mm. but probably not. But still. Probably not, yeah. It's, you know, hey, it's not like that's a big character in the comics anyway. The fact that he got any mention, you know, any nod is impressive. Yeah, agreed. All right, so before we go, John, anywhere you want to tell people to go to find more of you? Well, um, just a little bit in the future, on January 3rd, I am planning to launch a show, a finite podcast that I've already recorded all of, called Superman in Crisis. And for those who haven't heard me brag about this before, I, I brag about it at every chance I can. I've read every pre-crisis Superman comic book story. And whenever I got to Crisis on Infinite Earths, I decided to commemorate it, celebrate it, whatever. And so 
I, I started recording podcast episodes about Crisis on Infinite Earths, focusing on the involvement of the Superman characters, but also every Superman comic book that was published alongside Crisis during those 12 months, and then continuing on to the end of that version of Superman in June of 1986. So over the course of 18 months in 2022, in the first half of 2023, we'll be going on a journey through the 18 months of crisis and the end of pre-crisis Superman from 1985 and early 1986. I am currently, as we're sitting here, and I still have a month to get my act together and do it, I am currently planning on launching johnreadscomics.com as for all of my different podcast projects I've worked on over the years. All right, so johnreadscomics.com will be available. Ooh, nice. There. Yeah, johnreadscomics.com. So audio problems aside, uh, that should be launching around the beginning of the first of the year as well. Yep. So links to John Reed's comics will be in the show notes. But thank you for having me on, Al. This well, has been great. You. Yes. No, this has been fun re-looking at these things. And yeah, I, I have I enjoyed the shows before, but now I have now I'm like sitting there going, I want to rewatch this and I want to watch Falcon Winter Soldier again. Just see some of the things and I want to watch WandaVision. <laughs> <laughs> But I still need to watch Hawkeye. Hawkeye. The curse of the fact that we're in a time where there's so much awesome stuff. Yes. We need more weekends. That's the solution. I need to wake up as Bruce Wayne, or you know, at least Bruce Wayne money. <laughs> I would also like to wake up as Bruce Wayne's money. All right, everyone. Well, we'll be back soon to talk about the rest of the stuff from this year. Until then, bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.